How's everybody doing? Sorry I'm a little discombobulated. Gabe's not here, and she's the one that usually dresses me and sends me out the door, make sure I've got everything I need. So I'm like, wait, huh? Okay. First thing I do is check pants, check fly. Okay, we're good. It's all gravy from here. <laughs> Hey, welcome everybody. I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, I think uh, we are starting off on a great series, what I think is going to be a great series. It's an exciting series for me to be able to teach. And every time I go in and I'm learning something to teach it, uh, I always learn something more about it myself. And so I'm, I'm excited to learn this stuff as we go. Um, last week, if you were here last week, I kicked off kind of the idea behind the book of Acts, that it was written by the Apostle Luke, and it's kind of a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. So if you were not here and you missed that one, that's okay, life happens, uh, but I urge you to go back and catch it on our podcast, catch it on iTunes or Google Play, wherever you want, and kind of get some foundational knowledge, because it's kind of, uh, it's not critical that you know that to understand what we're going to be teaching for, the, for these next several weeks, but it's good to have that foundational knowledge. It helps you have a perspective of where they were going, uh, where they were coming from, where they had been, and then where they're going. Because if you, if, you know, if you don't know where you've been, if you don't understand your history, then it's hard to understand where you're going. Okay? I would repeat the thing where it says, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. In some cases, that's a good thing. In some cases, we want to repeat our history because it was a glorious history. And, and uh, the history of the early church is certainly like that. The, the uh, signs and wonders and the amazing things that the apostles were able to accomplish through the Holy Spirit were just amazing. And a lot of people today say that those things don't happen anymore, that that kind of died off with the original apostles. And I don't believe that's the case. I think we're all a part of that. So uh, for those of you who are here last week, okay, and heard me teach this and open up the series, I want to ask you, who remembers just the, the basic reason? Why is it important that we're talking about the book of Acts? Why is it important? Not all at once. Take turns. Take turns. All right, I'll help you out. It's important because the history of the church is still being written. It's not like a history book that you find in school where you go and, okay, A to Z, and there's the history, and there's a period at the end of it, and that's it. You learn that, and you've learned that topic. The history of the church is still ongoing, and you are a vital part of that. You're a vital part of that. So it can't be written without your contribution. And so as we go into this series, I want you just to have in your mind, what is my contribution to the history of the church going to be? What's that going to look like? Because we can do it all kinds of different ways. We can achieve our salvation through accepting Jesus Christ. That's a gift that he offers for free. We just simply have to accept him. We can take that salvation and go, okay, I'm good. And then just live your life like nothing ever happened. You'll be in heaven, yes. But you will have missed out. You will have missed out on the joys of having a responsibility in the kingdom, the joys of having our heavenly father say, I want you to come alongside me and partner in this earthly ministry and to help me bring others to the knowledge of who my son is. And we get the joy to be able to do that. It's not a job. We get to do that. So to set up where we are, if you remember, um, Jesus, had been, Jesus had been crucified. He had been resurrected. And then he has come back and appeared again to the disciples, okay? That's what we talked about last week. He was crucified, he was resurrected, and he appeared again to the disciples. And when he appeared to the disciples again, he thought that it was important enough to teach them just a couple more things. Now, he talked to them about a few things, but we do know that there were two primary things that he talked to the disciples about when he came back. Okay, and one of them is this, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they've been spending all this time with Jesus. They've been walking with him. They've been learning from him. They've been hanging out with him. They've been learning about his character and what he taught. They had heard him teach the Sermon on the Mount, which is just packed full of wisdom on how to live with each other and how to live with God and how to, how to have the right heart and the right mindset. 
And so he challenged them at that point. He said, hey, we're going to go. We're going to conquer the world with this message. And then he leaves them with that. Go make disciples of all nations. So if you think about it from their point of view, they've been spending all this time with him. They saw him be crucified, resurrected. They're, they're like, okay, plans back on, right? When your leader gets captured and gets crucified, you've got to be thinking, oh, there's a kink in our plans. I thought we were going to go conquer the world, but now our leader is gone. And even though he told them this was going to happen, it wouldn't have been something that they immediately thought, okay, he said this was going to happen, so let's be cool with this. They probably were freaking out a little bit. Then he shows up and he gives them this commission. So again, they have to be saying, fantastic. Here we are. We know what to do. We're given our marching orders. Jesus is here with us. Let's go. But Jesus says, ah, not so fast. Not so fast. He gives them this kind of a cryptic sort of a little order right here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. This was in response to them asking him, okay, when are we doing this? When are we doing it? When's the kingdom coming? When are we going to go conquer? Are we going to go do it now? And he says, nah, that's not for you to know. I'm not going to tell you that, but here's what you do get. You do get power when the spirit comes upon you. Okay, so this is where they are. They're like, okay, we're, getting, we're going to get this power. And immediately after this, he ascends into heaven. So he tells them this and then ascends, leaving them to sit there wondering what's next. What would you be doing? If you're a leader, you'd put all this time into following this man. He's, you believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the risen Christ. You believe that with all your heart. And then he takes off. He ascends into heaven. Now, he's told you what was going to happen. But at this point, you've got to be just starting to piece together little things like, okay, he said this was going to happen. Well, here's what happens. Here's what happens next. He leaves them there in the room. Acts 1, 12 and 13. We have that on the screen here. <coughs> this is what happened immediately after he ascended. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Let me tell you a couple of things about that. The mount called Olivet is just through a little valley. It's called the Kidron Valley, and it's right outside of Jerusalem, right outside the walls, where it says here, a Sabbath day's journey. What is a Sabbath day's journey? Does anybody know? It's not very far, right? On the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to do any work. You weren't allowed, if you were a Jew, you weren't allowed to do any work. In fact, to this day, if you go to Israel, the elevators on the Sabbath, they just go all the way to the top, stopping at every floor, and all the way to the bottom, stopping at every floor. Because pushing a button to tell it what floor you want to stop on is considered work. So the Sabbath day's journey is about a half a mile. Don't be judging. Sabbath day's journey is about half a mile. Uh, again, it's just across Kidron Valley. A couple of interesting things about that. Mount called Olivet, Kidron Valley. These are all things that we're going to be visiting when we go as a church to Israel in 2019, which I'm in the middle of working on plans now. It's going to be in September, but these will be some of the things we'll see. I'm going to talk in a few minutes about a few more things that we're going to see, which is going to be awesome. So where they went, they returned to Jerusalem. Where they went is to a place called the Upper Room. Okay, you've heard of the Upper Room. The Upper Room is where the Last Supper is thought to have happened. Uh, there's debate about what it is. Is the Upper Room, um, was it an old synagogue? Was it just somebody's house that they were loaning? Uh, but it was big enough to accommodate a lot of people. It was big enough to accommodate uh, quite a group. In fact, there were about 120 disciples that ended up being there. Okay, there were the original 12 apostles, and then they lost one, remember? And then they eventually replaced him. But at this time, when they went back, they're sitting there for about 10 days. About 10 days after Jesus ascended, they sit there in this upper room. I imagine they didn't spend all their time there, but they spent a good part of it. There were a lot of people. Again, there were 120 people, give or take, that were there. There were all three Marys, okay? Jesus' mother, Mary, there was Martha, there was Salome, Jesus' brothers were there. 
There are a lot of people here, they were praying. They spent time choosing an apostle to replace Judas. If you like reading really macabre, grisly things in the Bible, go check out, uh, check out Acts one uh, eighteen. That's what happened to Judas. That was kind of his reward for betraying, Judas, uh, betraying Jesus. Peter was preaching, and they're waiting. They've gotten their orders. They know Jesus told them, hey, you'll receive this gift. And essentially, they're sitting around. They're biding their time. They're preaching. They're edifying each other, and they're taking care of business, but they're waiting. What's this going to look like? And Jesus told them this is going to happen, but he didn't say exactly when. And he really didn't say exactly what it was going to look like, just that it was going to happen. And so they had to be kind of just sitting there talking to each other like, was that it? Did you hear that? Was that it? Wondering if that was it. Well, there's no mistaking because when it happened, here's what it looked like. Next scripture up there. Acts 2, 1 to 4. This is our main scripture for the day. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place in that upper room. And suddenly... There came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. That sounds pretty dramatic, right? When that happened, there's no chance they missed that. They had to have, okay, that was it for sure. So let's go back and let's, uh, let's start at the beginning and kind of take this apart. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. First of all, Pentecost. We think of Pentecost as being, most of us anyway, as being a, a Christian holiday. Because we think of Pentecost. Pentecost is this that we're talking about. It's when the Christian church was born. It's when the Spirit descended on the apostles it's really when things started to happen for us. So that's what, when we think of Pentecost and we say that, that's what we're thinking of, that act. But Pentecost had been around as a holiday, as a Jewish holiday, one of the three major ones, for a long, long time before this. Okay, Pentecost actually just means 50th day. 50th day. That's what the word Pentecost means at its base. And it's, it's a one-day festival. It's 50 days after Passover. So that's when Pentecost is. It's 50 days after Passover. And it celebrates, actually, the barley harvest. Jack, any of you who grow your own barley? <laughs> celebrates the barley harvest. And it's just a one-day festival. But along with, uh, with Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles, Pentecost makes up the three major Jewish feasts. So that's what this is. That's what Pentecost is. They were all together in one place. This one place is the upper room. So as a side note, again, when we go to Israel next year, those of you who want to go with us, we'll get more information on that very, very soon. But when we go, the upper room is one of the places where we'll visit. We'll visit that. And in, they don't call it the lower room, and they don't call it the basement, but it's basically downstairs in that is the tomb of King David. So you get to visit the tomb of King David at the same time as well. So it's very cool, very cool place to go and an amazing thing to do. Let's move on to the next verses, though. Verses 2 and 3. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Again, sounds incredibly dramatic. Why do you think, in fact, I've got a picture, let me show you this. Nobody knows exactly what it looked like, but remember, Luke wrote this, and Luke tried really hard to document things from a perspective that helped you understand. This is kind of what an artist's rendition of what that moment looked like. Everybody's got a little tongue of fire on them, and they're starting to speak. And remember, a lot of people think that it's just the 12 that were there, but it's a room full of people. That must have been some commotion. Everybody's speaking in different languages. Quite a thing. Why do you think it had to be so dramatic? That's a question for you guys. Why do you think why do you think that this event had to be so dramatic? What were you saying? So it would be obvious. So it would be obvious. Now, there's nobody here other than disciples. So they're all believers in Christ. So, but yeah, they could go tell people. 
But I think in order to really understand why it had to be so obvious, we kind of need to go back to the beginning. So let's go way back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis. Not the beginning beginning, but close to it. Genesis 3.8. It's talking about Adam and Eve. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, why do you think, let me, let me ask you this. What jumps out to you about that? The sound. Okay, they heard the sound of the Lord. What do you think the sound of the Lord was? Do you think it was thunder and lightning? Do you think it's like he's a batter at the Rockies and he's got a walk-up song? It was probably some song if it is. Here comes the Lord. It could have been a wind. You know what I think it is? I think it was just simply God's voice. I think it was just simply his, his breathing, his voice. You know, if you spend enough time around somebody, you know what they sound like. Even just moving around in another room, you know who that is. You're so intimately familiar with them that you know what they sound like. And I think that's where we are right here. Obviously, there's other teachings and other stories going on right here. But the significant thing to me is they heard the sound of the Lord and they hid. They didn't have to see that it was him, they wait to see him, and then they hid. They knew. They knew who it was. They were intimately aware because they had been spending so much time with him. And then what happened? They had one job not to do, one rule, and they broke it. So they sinned. They, they acted against what God had expressly told them not to do, and they were expelled from the garden. From that point on, until Jesus came, people began to forget what the Lord's voice sounded like. Because they no longer had direct communion with God, they couldn't walk and talk in the cool of the garden with him anymore. They were separated by sin from Father God. So when God did choose to talk to people, he did it through intermediaries. He did it through, uh, he did it through various prophets. He did it through people like Noah and Abram, Abraham, uh, Moses, but it was always very dramatic, right? Whenever God chose to spoke to his people, it was dramatic. It got their attention. And in Sinai, you know, the burning bush, there was the cloud that followed the Israelites around, thunder, lightning. The Bible describes all kinds of chaos going on whenever God spoke to his people. And then he spoke through various prophets. And those were always very dramatic messages. Right? It wasn't when the prophet Ezekiel wrote, it wasn't like, hey, Lord wants you just to be good to one another. It was these really dramatic, kind of mm, weighty messages. And that's how God spoke to his people for the longest time because they no longer recognized his voice. And you think about the, the people in the Bible like Noah. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the people that God spoke to directly, that the word talks about these instances where he spoke. You think, okay, God spent a lot of time talking to them, but really it wasn't that much. Think about this, Noah, okay, Noah lived to be 950 years old. Okay, that's an old dude. You know how many times the Bible documents that God spoke to Noah? Five times. Five times over 950 years. Meanwhile, if, if I don't hear from God in two or three days, I start thinking I'm doing something wrong. But that's a different story. Next one, uh, Abraham. Abraham lived 175 years. God spoke to him directly eight times. A little more, shorter time frame, but still, it's going to wait 175 years to hear from anybody eight times. You would think, that's not a really great relationship. Uh, Isaac, just twice. Jacob, seven times. That's the way it was. And then God put his spirit in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And so then the high priest could go in 
to the temple in the Holy of Holies. He would go in there, big to-do around that, big ceremonies around that. He would go in, he would hear from God, he would hear the instructions for the people, and then come out and relay to the people what God had said. Again, a very big to-do. People gather around, tell us what the Lord has for us. And he would relay the word. Finally, of of all the dramatic things that happened, remember the account in Matthew 3.16 when John was baptizing Jesus. Okay, the clouds parted, a dove comes down, lands on Jesus, and a booming voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Extremely dramatic. It had to be that way. In all these instances, it had to be that way because they no longer had direct communication with, Jesus, with, with the Lord. They never had that intimate relationship that God wants with them. They just simply couldn't have that because of their sin. Thankfully, God made a way. Verse 4 Verse 4 here, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. This is something, the Holy Spirit is something that is very, I don't use the word divisive necessarily, but it's commonly misunderstood. A lot of people don't understand the Holy Spirit because there's different things that can happen. The Holy Spirit indwells in you when you accept Christ, you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what guarantees our salvation. That's what allows us to understand the family that we're born into. It's what helps us to understand this new being that we are. Okay, so we all get that. And then there's that second experience. That's the baptism of the Spirit. In fact, Jesus promised that. Acts 1.5. Jesus promised, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Another one of the things that he was telling them, preparing their hearts for what was to come. Even then, though, I don't think they really understand, understood the significance of what was coming their way. But so there's that experience, and then there's another one. There's the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and then when there's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit can come upon you to give you all kinds of gifts, can give you spiritual gifts, some of which are Permanent, semi-permanent, it's something you operate in all the time. And then some of them come upon you for a moment or for a season or for a specific reason. And here in this moment in Pentecost, actually both happened to the disciples at the same time. So there's kind of a lot of confusion. I'm not going to go into that too much more because I could teach a whole series on the Holy Spirit. But If that's something you'd love to hear a little bit more about, sign up for our bedrock class because I'm going to spend two whole nights talking about different experiences with the Holy Spirit to help you understand what that is. So sign up out there before you go. This is the last weekend to sign up, okay? You can just show, but please help me out. If you want to come, sign up for that. Let me know. Let me know that you're coming. So there's those experiences. Um, In short, though, The Holy Spirit gives us everything that we need to accomplish what God has called us to do. And God has called us to partner with him in earthly ministry to make sure that everyone has had the chance to hear of his son, Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's what we receive the gifts of the Spirit for. You know, when those gifts come upon you, whether it's a gift of music, whether it's a gift of prayer or prophecy or healing, those aren't for you and your personal use. They're to be used in the body, not only to edify and to build up and heal and and care for and love one another, but to show the outside world. This is the power of the risen Savior. This is the power of the Jesus that we serve. And you have that Holy Spirit in you. You have access to all those. So in short, we do have, we have everything that we need. In fact, Jesus said in uh, John 14, 12, if you want to read it, but there's Jesus talking about um, him leaving. The apostles are saying, hey, don't, we don't want you to go. We want you to stay here with us. And he's saying, I have to go. But not only that, but once I go, you're going to do far greater things than I did. Now, they had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him do water into wine. They had seen him calm raging seas. And he's looking them in the eye and he's saying, hey, I'm, 
I'm going, but don't worry, because you're going to do far better things than that. What would that have felt like? Again, he told them, for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear, he laid it all out for them beforehand. But I think it was only in retrospect, probably, when they're sitting in this upper room and the Spirit has come upon them now. In fact, the Word says that once you have the Spirit, you can now discern the things of the Spirit. But without that, it all just seems like good idea, earthly wisdom. Certainly doesn't seem God-led unless you have the Spirit, and that helps you to understand the depth of what God is telling you. But so now we have direct communication with God, all wisdom. He'll direct our steps. We are never, now that we have the Holy Spirit, we are never left to our own devices to just find a way, figure out a way to get through life. We no longer have to go to the high priest who goes into the Holy of Holies who, who I mean, he's not getting every answer that everybody needs when he goes in there. He's, he's hearing, is it time to harvest yet? What's next year going to be like? He's getting big picture stuff. The word says that he will direct our steps. Meaning your every thought, your every action, God wants to help you with that. And we have the Holy Spirit in us to help us with that. So we are never alone. We are never without divine guidance. How amazing is that? We never have to spend one minute, much less one day of our lives wandering about, just doing the best we can. We have God in an intimate relationship again, once again with him. You know, last week when I was teaching, I talked about if you accept the gift of salvation, you also have to accept the responsibility of what to do with it. Because it's not just a gift, a, a trophy that you put on your mantle. This is my salvation trophy. You get that, yes, but you accept the responsibility of helping to share the word. And when we talk about that or when I teach that, it can seem a little bit like a job. It can seem like a job, like a task. Like I thought, I thought Father God was not all about telling us things we had to do. And it was all about grace and mercy, right? It can seem a little bit heavy. Like I have a job to do. Well, let me show you a couple pictures of what I think represents God wanting us to help him in his ministry. That little boy thinks he's fixing the chain on the bike. This little boy is helping his dad work on the car. The next one, little girl helping her dad out in the kitchen. See, I think our Heavenly Father doesn't need our help any more than those guys need the help of their child. But what a great moment. What an intimate moment of teaching and of love and giving wisdom and equipping them for a life to come when your father will sit with you and show you how to do something. I remember to this day a time, I was, I couldn't have been more than about five years old. My father was a, a race car driver. And we were out at, uh, it's defunct now, it used to be Inglewood Speedway. They were having this long 100 lap race. And a couple laps into the race, my dad's car blows an engine, okay? And I'm running around at that time, I'm kind of half oblivious to what's going on, but all I know is that we're throwing the race car on the trailer and we're heading home. We didn't live very far from there. And we're switching the engine out in the car because he had to get the points for the race in order to have season championship and all that kind of stuff. So we actually changed out the engine in the car. And I remember to this day, okay, I was about five years old then, I'm 55 years old now. So about 50 years ago, my dad gave me a wrench. And he said, I want you to tighten that bolt. I need you to tighten that bolt for me. I don't even remember what the bolt was on. It was probably on something else entirely. But I spent that whole time tightening that bolt. And we changed out the engine in that race car. Got back to the track. He finished and ended up doing really well in the season championship. But my entire life, I have felt I helped my dad win that race. I helped him in what he was doing. My dad didn't have to give me that. He could have said, go play in the yard because we're busy over here. I don't want you to get hurt. That's the way our Father in heaven is. 
He wants intimate relationship with you, and he wants to share his wisdom with you, and he wants to share his heart with you, and he wants you to partner with the ministry that he's doing. And he doesn't want any of us left behind. And so is it a job to come alongside the creator of the universe and have him direct your steps and show you who to talk to and where to go? and the things that he would like to walk you into and the relationships he wants to put together for you. Is that a job? Is that a burden for us? Or is that the most loving thing that our creator could do for us? I think it's just that. I think it's a loving God who says, I'm going to use you. I don't have to. I'm going to use you to accomplish great things in the kingdom. So the worship team can actually go ahead and start coming up. <coughs> Excuse me. We have been given the gift of the opportunity to partner with God in his ministry. And we have been given the Holy Spirit so that we can have intimate conversations with our Father God. But it takes practice. I want to ask you, when is the last time that you heard from God? When's the last time you asked him a question expecting an answer? Not just throw up a prayer like a Hail Mary and walk away and live your life. When's the last time you spent time, spent time with Father God saying, Lord, I need you and I need an answer for this. I need to know what you think about this. or I need guidance on this. And you waited expecting the Holy Spirit to speak to you. When's the last time? It's very common. Some of us do it all the time. I don't do it all the time. I'm about 50-50 expecting an answer. Sometimes I'm so busy, I'm like, Lord, I really need help with uh, this meeting or this phone call that I'm doing, and I walk right into it without waiting for an answer. I know that God's going to bless that, but how much better if I waited for an answer and waited for his guidance on what to say and how to say it and when to do it. And he wants to give us that. We have to practice. We have to practice. And so as we go into the response time here, I want to lead us in a little bit of practice. Hearing God's voice. The biggest thing that the Father God wants us to do, he wants us to have the abundant life. He wants us to have supernatural peace and joy and all these things that he wants us to experience here on earth. But our biggest thing that he wants from us is to share the knowledge of Jesus with everyone. That's our biggest job. And he has equipped us with everything we need to do that. We hear his voice and we follow his lead. And we let the Holy Spirit give us whatever we need, whether that's a tongue that we don't speak, whether it's a, a boldness that we don't naturally possess. Whatever that is, it's going to enable us to go do what God is asking us to do. That church is where the blessing lies. That's where the blessing lies. Doing the will of our Father in heaven is a blessing to us, and it's a gift to us. And so as we go into this uh, communion, I want you to, I'll, I'll pray over us here in just a moment. We have communion at the crosses. You can serve yourself. Uh, we'll be serving. Uh, I've asked Lori and Percy Olson to come up and serve up here. They have wine and bread up here. But take as much time as you need to to respond during this first song before you move around. And what I want you to do is something that many of us don't routinely do, and that is talk to God. Remember, prayer is just talking to God. And so I'm going to pray us into this, but then I want you to just stay in that prayerful place. Speak to the Lord. Ask him. Whatever that thing that's on your mind, what is first and foremost on your mind right now? Should I take that business trip? Should I get something to eat on the way home? Should I start a new exercise routine? Should I watch the Bronco game tomorrow? Whatever the thing is, it doesn't have to be some big earth-shattering thing. It just has to be something that's on your heart. And I want you to take the time to ask God the question and listen for an answer. And when you ask God to speak to you, he will speak to you. But the enemy also speaks to you.
And so a lot of times when you'll ask God a question, the first thing that you hear, especially if it doesn't make any sense to you whatsoever, that's God. And you have to think about what he's trying to tell you. The second thing that you'll hear quite often is the enemy coming in and talking you out of the first thing that you heard. Okay, God, should I take that business trip tomorrow? You'll hear, no, you shouldn't. And then the next thing you'll hear is, yeah, but if you don't, you'll lose your job because that's something that you're supposed to do and you might miss out on some sales and okay, maybe that means I'm supposed to. Mm. The first thing that you heard is probably Father God, but you know what else you can do? Lord, is that you? Did you say that? Because here's another thing that happens in the kingdom. The enemy cannot masquerade as God. He can let you think that he is, but if you say, Lord, is that your voice telling me this? The enemy can't say yes. You'll just get crickets. You'll just get dead airspace. But I want you to take some time. Take those burdens that are on your heart. Lay them down. Give them to God and let him speak into that. Let's all start a daily habit of praying and expecting to hear God's voice. Because that's what happened at Pentecost. That's the significance of that. We have that gift every day available to us. Amen? So, Father God, we just thank you, Lord, that you are so intimate. Lord, you created the heavens and earth. You created everything that ever was and ever will be. And you love us so much that you made a way for us to get right with you again, to have the intimate relationship with you that you planned all along. And you sent your son, Jesus, to give us that. And so, Father, we accept, we accept that gift. And, Lord, we want all of you. We want you. We want the Holy Spirit. We want Jesus. We want to be infilled. We want to be baptized in the Spirit. We want all of it, Lord. But most of all, we want to hear your voice. Some of us haven't heard your voice in a long time. And so, Father, as we sit here right now, Lord God, I just want you to speak more loudly, more clearly to everyone who's in this sanctuary right now, everybody who's hearing my voice. Speak more clearly than you ever have before. Leave no doubt and no room for the enemy. In fact, Father God, I bind and I silence the voice of the enemy right here, right now. Any spirit that is not of God, we just tell you to shut your mouth. You have no say in this place. We do not want to hear your voice. The only voice we want to hear is the spirit of God speaking to his children. And we bind and we silence every other voice in the name and in the authority of of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. Speak to us now. We give you permission and we crave your voice. We hunger for your voice. Father, we love you and we praise you in the name of your most precious son, Jesus. Amen.
We're going to do one more here for you. I'm going to invite you to stick around and worship with us, but you can be dismissed if you like.
power in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's not just words we're singing. He can break every chain we have on us. If you've got some kind of affliction on you, you've got a spirit of fear on you, he's breaking those chains tonight. He is breaking those chains and dropping them to the floor. He's releasing a spirit of freedom here tonight. A spirit of freedom in you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to have an intimate voice with you, an intimate conversation with you. I'm going to sing that again. tells you to do. And listen for him. He's talking to us every day, every moment. It's up to us to hear him. It's up to us to hear his voice and move on. If you guys have anything you need prayer about, the prayer team's in the back. They want to speak with you. They want to pray with you. Help you hear the Holy Spirit more yourselves. We just give this night. Lord, we give this night to you, Jesus. Searching for answers, 
Who I am, who I am. 